latest episode of Dustin and Cole Podcast. This is Cole Ambrose with Dustin and CBO. Got a great topic that we're going to discuss today. Obviously, coming off this weekend, we had the 2020 NFL Draft wrap up. Uh, so we're going to get into our biggest winners and biggest losers. And uh, Dustin, how are we doing today? I'm doing good, man. It was a great weekend. I had the you know the NFL Draft, what, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. No, sorry, Thursday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Finished it Sunday with the three and four episode of the Michael Jordan documentary. So good weekend, man. Can't complain. Yeah, with sports being suspended right now, it's nice to have something to to watch. So obviously we saw that this was the most viewed NFL draft in history, which is obviously not ironic due to the fact that everybody's home and has no other sport to watch. So normally the NFL draft is not a hot commodity to watch per se, but uh, with again, with the times that we're living in, it's been nice to tune in and watch something uh, that's that's not badminton or or uh, table tennis or what have you. So um, so we are going to get into the biggest winners and losers of this draft. It was kind of an interesting draft and there wasn't a lot of movement. There were some trades towards the end of the draft. But, you know, in recent years, I think we've seen some pretty big trades. And uh, there was obviously a lot of talk about maybe Miami trading back or possibly trading up and then as well as Detroit trading back. And uh, so there wasn't like a ton of movement in the front of the front end of the draft. And um, so I'm going to start off with who I think is, is the biggest winners. I think there's a lot of teams that won, but these are kind of the winners of the winners. And, and my first team that I'm going to start with is going to be the Indianapolis Colts. And I think that they had an incredible draft and obviously they didn't have a first round pick. But in the second round, they got Michael Pittman with their first pick in the draft. And then they had an additional second round pick and they got Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. So with these two picks, they got potentially a a number one wide receiver. T.Y. Hilton's a great deep threat. He's getting a little bit older. It's crazy to think that he's over 30 now. But with Michael Pittman, you get a big body, 6'4", 225, a guy that's a really, really good route runner. Um, He goes up and gets the ball great with his body in in the air. And you got Jonathan Taylor, who is arguably one of the best running backs to come out of Wisconsin. And that's kind of known over the years as running back you. So to get both of those guys in the second round, I think they're both first grade talents. And if they pan out, I think they just got two of the biggest deals of the draft. And and so they obviously in the fourth round got Jacob Eason, who we know who has been really a big project. But as far as talent, we know that he's got a huge ceiling. If he ends up developing, he gets a year, maybe two behind Phillip Rivers. This is a guy that they could potentially have their franchise quarterback and they get him in the fourth round. And so I just loved this move. And so I'm looking at just the rest of their draft. You know, in in the third round, they got a safety, Julian Blackman from Utah and uh, Danny Pintner in the fifth round, who is an offensive lineman from Ball State and uh, Robert Windsor from Penn State in the sixth round was their defensive tackle. And then they grabbed two or four more, three more guys in, in the six with Isaiah Rogers, cornerback from UMass, Desmond Patman, another wide receiver from Washington State, and then Jordan Glasgow, a safety slash linebacker from Michigan. So they really shirt up a lot of, of positions in terms of depth. You know, they've got a great offensive line. So just adding depth there with Danny Pittner and then just their front, you know, their front four with, with Robert Windsor from Penn State. I really like this pick in the sixth round. So overall, I think that they're the winners of this draft. No, I totally agree. I think that 
you look at them, you also add in the fact that they got DeForest Buckner in the first round, basically, because that's the trade they gave to the Niners, right? Who was Yeah, true. Behind, great point. Yeah, I mean, besides Aaron Darnold, arguably the best defensive tackle in the NFL. I think you made some great points. I mean, I think Michael Pittman, when you look at him from not only like a physical stature standpoint, where the guy's 6'4", 225, great run blocker, which I think is awesome for their scheme yep. because no, they're definitely a like a well. run, you know, a run first football team. But then to your point, they also have T.Y. Hilton, right, who's a great speed guy. They have uh, Paris Campbell. They have Zach Pascal. Mm-hmm. Both guys kind of emerged towards the end of last year, but they definitely had some, like, injury history. I think it's awesome. I, we both agree, agree on the philosophy where you build your team from the inside out. They've done such a great job setting up their roster the last few years with obviously getting Quentin Nelson and the top 10 yep. a few years ago. They have Anthony Costanzo, who they've had at left tackle for a few years, Ryan Kelly at center. And then now they have the luxury of being able to spend a second round pick on a receiver, a second round pick on, on a running back, a value position with a safety who had some time at cornerback. So he can kind of get in there in the secondary and also play multiple positions because as we know so many teams now play so much more nickel and dime defense with this pass heavy offense in the NFL that I think they've done a really good job pretty much setting up their roster and then to your point with Jacob Isom you know I'm not 100% sure but I believe when he came out from high school he was one of the top two or three quarterback prospects he started at Georgia had a great freshman year obviously he got injured and he ended up transferring to Washington but when you look at a talent standpoint He's not too far off from Patrick Mahomes where you look at arm strength. I think the biggest thing from him is from ear to ear, how does he understand the game and how does he lead in the locker room? And you go to a team where you have Jacoby Brissett who you know, was in the same locker room as Jimmy Garoppolo, Tom Brady, two veteran quarterbacks in the NFL that have taken their teams to the pinnacle right in the NFL to different Super Bowls. You have a guy like Phillip Rivers who took over a franchise in San Diego and really solidified them at the quarterback position for over 10 years. You can't ask to go into a better situation. So I think they absolutely nail the draft. Yeah, when I think, too, when you look at franchises, it's very important uh, when we look at fit. I think it's very overlooked. It matters where you go because if I look at Indianapolis' front office, they have an elite front office. Chris Ballard's one of the – he won the executive of the year two years ago. He's one of the great GMs in football right now. And I just – I love the fact that he's going to be able to sit behind Phillip. Phillip's going to probably give you one to two years. He's a guy that's – been a perennial Pro Bowl in this league. He's been a top 10 quarterback in this league consistently over time. When you look at elite quarterbacks, that that's what they do is they do it consistently at a very, very high level over a long period of time. And so I love the fit. If he's going to have success, if he's going to pan out as a prospect, there really isn't a better spot for him to go. And I look at another draft that I loved, which was Denver's. And you look at Drew Locke, who at the end of that year last year had an incredible run. They ended up finishing second in the AFC West, which is crazy because of where they started. But they definitely are all in on him. And I, and I always respect that when it comes to a front office. John Elway has been trying to get the quarterback right since Peyton left and retired. And if you look at their first couple picks, they addressed that. And so getting Jerry Judy, the fact that he fell to them in the first round is pretty crazy um, because the Raiders drafted Henry Ruggs uh, with, with, as the first receiver off the board. And so the fact that they got Jerry Judy and then they got KJ Hamler, who is a great slot receiver, potentially, you know, another Tyree kill type player um, coming out of the slot. So from Penn state. And then if you look at the the rest of their draft, they got another tight end. They obviously have Noah Fant who they drafted in the first round last year. So he's going to be surrounded by a lot of great talent. They got Melvin Gordon in the off season to be a two headed monster with Philip Lindsay. So I really like what they're doing in Denver 
if Drew Locke's going to have the success that they hope he's going to have, they're definitely giving him every weapon and tool to be able to, uh, to have the most success. So I, I just, I loved this draft by Denver. They were very, I think going on the offense, no pun intended, is very important when you're a franchise. I don't believe being safe is the route to go. And with where Denver's at, being in a division with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, you got the Las Vegas Raiders now who are going to be on the rise. So it's, it's a very tough division. And I really like what they're doing here for Drew Locke. And I like the potential that Drew Locke has. I think he can be an elite quarterback in this league. And obviously there's not, there's not a huge sample size there. But if he's going to have success, it's going to be because they surround him with the right guys. And I think they did that. No, I completely agree. I think when I look at Drew Luck, I think of – he reminds me a lot of Josh Allen with the arm strength there, right? He has decent mobility at the size, but I think with so many players now, it's not about like this cerebral quarterback that's just dominating games for you. I think a lot of what you look at, some of the guys who are doing so well nowadays, it's can you put talent around them, especially when you have a quarterback like Drew Luck that's on a rookie contract, right? So they have a decent defense. They have Vaughn Miller. They have guys that have been there, won Super Bowls, won big games. Because Drew Luck's on that rookie contract, and you still have Carlton Sutherland on the rookie contract, you can bring guys yep. in like a Melvin Gordon, and you can basically pair him with a Phillip Lindsay, who was really, really good at like Colorado a few years ago. You still have Royce Freeman, right? So you have that depth at running back. Now you have a three-headed monster at receiver you also drafted some tight ends that, that will also help you and then you have Noah Fant who came on really really strong last year out of Iowa who is kind of like a tweener um who's you know maybe not like the best running tight end but he's so physical he's quick up the slot I think they really put Drew in a position where now now he has everything he needs I think we talked about last year with Baker Minus the offensive line, Baker had pretty much everything he needed offensively. Now, I think the Browns, which we'll get into probably next, did a really good job trying to shore up thing, some things on the offensive line to really give him everything he needs around him. But I'm all in with you. I think the Broncos did a great job. And then when you look at the division with what the Chiefs have done the last two years, what Oakland is trying to do this year with getting rugs, getting speed around Derek Carr, they already have Jacobs there at running back. And then obviously when you look at the Chargers, they have their quarterback of the future. So it may take a year to develop, but they have so much talent around him with Eckler and the receivers there where it's going to be a really fun division to watch for probably the next three to five years. Absolutely. So speaking of the Brownies. Yeah, no, I thought the Browns loaded. I think for me with the Browns, when I look at the draft, there's so many ways you can look at it. I think depending on how your team's constructed, you can either go, you know, say best player available or I think there's times where you really have to look at need. And I think when you look at Cleveland, skill position, I mean, there's a, there's a legit argument you can make. You've never seen such a stacked offense in the history of football. You have Jarvis Landry, right? You have OBJ. You have Nick David Chubb. David Njoku. You, you have got. Kareem Hunt. I mean, these are like – these are all real talent players, right? The Browns even brought they – even, they even brought another tight end last year, the kid from um, Atlanta. I forget his name. Austin but, Hooper. Yeah, Austin Hooper, right? So you look at it, I mean, they have starters at every position. They have two starting running backs, two starting receivers, two starting tight ends. Baker Mayfield, first pick in the draft. Where did they struggle? Offensive line. So you have to give it to Cleveland. Offensive line, they went Jarek Wills from Alabama, who in a lot of people's minds, the best left tackle in the draft, right? No, then, I, think, I think he is. There's no yeah. doubt. Yeah, I mean, you play in the SEC. He's going against elite competition. You know, really, really solid for two years. Great starter. Then second round, um, they go and get the safety from LSU, who 
This year, obviously battling the ankle injury, so he was a little inconsistent. But last year, he probably would have been a first-round pick, right? They Then they go back in. They get a defensive lineman from Missouri. They get Jacob Phillips from LSU, who they can pair um, with that young linebacking core. And I think they're really starting to solidify themselves. The pick I actually really liked was Donovan Peoples-Jones, right? This guy coming out of high school was a number one wide receiver prospect. Goes to Michigan, obviously with Michigan's system with John Harbaugh, more of a run-first offense. They consistently kind of put in different quarterbacks. And so I never thought he really met his potential. But I looked at Mark mock drafts last year, and he was considered a first or second round flyer last year because people yeah, were anticipating him breaking round. out. They get him in the seventh round. And you look at OBJ and Landry, those are both, I would say, more finesse, quick receivers. Donovan People Jones, 6'2, 215 pounds, physical guy. You can put on the outside, he can run in the red zone. I mean, the Browns, I mean, this is a year to shine. They have so much talent offensively, defensively. It's going to be a really intriguing year. Yeah, the, getting Kevin Stefanski, I know you and I both agree that we don't necessarily think that he's an elite offensive mind, but I think he'll bring substance to the culture. I think there's going to be security there. I think there's going to be consistency, and that's what Baker needs. Baker needs structure, and I think he thrives within structure. If you go back to his years at Oklahoma – Lincoln Riley gave him structure and he thrived. And so I think he can be a franchise quarterback in this league. And so getting a guy like Stefanski, obviously he's had three head coaches and this is now going to be his third year in the NFL. And that that's tough. That's difficult for any player, let alone a guy first, you know, coming into the league and learning how to play quarterback at the highest level. And although that he has, he has arguably the greatest talent around him. He's had multiple offense coordinators, multiple head coaches, and the front office is very dysfunctional, obviously losing his GM this offseason. So there's just been a lot of moving parts, but I think they've got a guy in place that, again, I don't think he's an elite offensive mind. I think he's going to do what needs to be done for Baker to be successful. And But the most important thing is I believe culture is so important when it comes to a team's success. And when you have a franchise like the Cleveland Browns, who have been a lackluster franchise for so long and have really been just a bottom feeder in the league, to get a guy that's going to bring uh, consistency in their culture – I think that's going to be huge for them. And they, they have no, there's no shortage of talent on both sides of the ball. So it's going to be a really, really interesting year to your point to watch Cleveland grow. But I think they had an incredible draft and we'll have to see it play out. And so I'm going to talk about my biggest losers. And again, these are going to be the losers of the losers. And I look at a, I look at a team like Green Bay who just came off a, a really incredible year, 13 and three. They played in the NFC championship game, obviously losing to the 49ers. Um, and I look at the draft that they had, you got a team that's ready to win a Super Bowl Now this is not a team that needs to rebuild. And so I don't understand the first two picks. Obviously there's a lot, been a lot of talk and speculation about the Jordan love pick. What's interesting to me is not just the fact that they drafted Jordan love, but the fact that they traded back into the first round to get him. Cause I don't think anybody was going to take him. So number one, they're trading back into the first round to grab him. And number two, you're getting a project. And you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who's obviously an all-time great, somebody who has the talent to get you to a Super Bowl and win you a Super Bowl, he's proven and done that. And you get a guy that, who in many say is probably the biggest project of the draft. He obviously, I believe, has the most upside. But again, how, how far away is he from actually reaching that, that ceiling, if, if even at all, that he's going to reach it? And so I look at that pick where he, they could have gotten an offensive talent um, an offensive weapon for Aaron Rodgers. I saw a really interesting statistic in his entire uh, career with the Green Bay Packers. They've never drafted a skill guy 
wide receiver, tight end, or running back in the first round, which is really interesting. And then you go into the second round, you get a guy like RJ Dillon from Boston College, who is a nice player, but he had a third, fourth, or I believe a fourth to fifth round grade. And you take him in the second round when your best player last year outside of Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Jones. And so I don't understand this move when you've got two backs in Williams and Jones, and then you've got Aaron Rodgers. And so your first two picks are running back quarterback. And so it's just kind of perplexing to me that Green Bay would make these types of moves. And I understand that they say quarterbacks are currency, but you've got at least another four to five years with Aaron Rodgers. So whether, whether Jordan Love becomes the quarterback of the future, I don't see him sitting for four to five years. They could potentially trade him. Um, but again, you're trying to win a Super Bowl now. You're not concerned with collecting currency. You're trying to go all in. You're trying to put your chips in the middle of the table and go all in for a Super Bowl. So it just really scratched my head. I thought they were the biggest losers of this draft. Yeah, I think to me, I would probably consider this a Patrick Mahomes effect. I think we talked about it earlier today before we did the podcast, and it's like I think Patrick Mahomes has wowed so many people with not even his quarterback play but his athletic ability where you see someone throw a football 80 yards and it's almost like to a GM or someone who their job is to look for a prospect and think of what they could become. They get so enamored of like what this could be that it they lose focus and they lose direction on how can they build their roster. And I think when you think of Aaron Rodgers, to your point, the Packers were, they're a few players away, right? They have Devonte Adams who in most people's mind, at least my mind, top five receiver in the NFL, right? You have Aaron Jones, really good running back, especially in that zone run system. You have Jamal Williams who came in, another really good running back, really solid offensive line. They had a really good front seven. They have a great secondary with Xavier Alexander, Kevin King, Darren Amos. Like they're, they're pretty stacked. What were they missing? They're really missing a number two wide receiver, maybe a tight end, really not a great tight end draft. So why not go for a wide receiver? Why not trade your first and your second round pick and trade to the Cowboys and get CD lamb or a player like that? Or, you know, worst case scenario, don't trade up and you can take Michael Pittman, right? So for me, it really didn't make sense to me. It's, it seems like from a team that normally drafts really well, you think of the pastor Packers historically, they're not a team that normally makes a lot of big plays in free agency. They normally draft really well. And I was right. really, I was really like perplexed by their draft. And if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm absolutely furious. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I mean, I mean they just basically told you that uh, we're kind of, we're kind of expecting you to retire in the next maybe two to three years, or we're going to trade you in the next two to three years. And I don't see Jordan Love being the next Aaron Rodgers, essentially from the standpoint of, obviously we remember back in 2005 when Aaron Rodgers slid into the uh, latter part of the first round and they had Brett Favre. And so I just don't see Jordan Love being a generational talent. And so you have a guy that could be pretty good but again, I don't understand the, the move to get back into the first round. That's the thing that really bothers me about this pick. I, I like Jordan Love as a prospect, but if you could have gotten him in the second or maybe even third round, then, then you do that. But you have to go all in with Aaron Rodgers right now. And I think it just sent a really wrong message to your franchise quarterback, a guy who's really given his all to this franchise, who's brought you a Lombardi trophy, and you decide to, in his entire career, to never draft a skilled position player in the first round to me is just, is really sad. So, and uh, so, so I know, I know. So if you're going to talk about giving the wrong message to your quarterback, what do you think the Eagles are saying to Carson Wentz when they take Jalen Hurts in the second round? 
Yeah, I, I would love to. I would love to kind of idle here because with Jalen Hurts, he's a guy that if he doesn't transfer to Oklahoma, honestly, if he transfers anywhere but Oklahoma, I don't even know if he necessarily gets drafted. And so he goes to Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley's system where Kyler and Baker both thrived in that system. And I think both those guys have talent, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out on a limb and say that those guys are generational talents. And so Kyler Murray obviously fits the system with, with Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona and Baker to me is very accurate, but he's not your prototypical franchise quarterback. And, and so, you know, three to maybe five years ago, Baker is not a first round pick, but because of the success of guys like Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, we we've now been able to see guys like Tua guys like Kyler guys like Baker get drafted, not only just in the first round, but at the top half of the first round. And I look at Jalen hurts and I, I love this. I love his leadership ability. I love his character. Um, I think he's a guy that's extremely talented as a football player but I don't know if he's a franchise quarterback. And you look at Carson Wentz, to me, talent-wise, he's top three in the league. And he's the first quarterback in NFL history last season to throw for 4,000 yards without having one single receiver go over 500 yards. So I look at Jalen Hurts, and he's a great addition to your football team, but he's not a guy taking the second round when you have a guy that's only 27 who is your franchise quarterback that you just paid. No, I totally, did. I totally agree. I mean, I think it's like, yeah, is there, like, subtle concern because, you know, Carson Wentz has had, like, some injury? But I think you look at someone like Nick Foles. I think we can both agree, like, Nick Foles isn't a generational talent. Nick Foles is a guy that you're able to get in your system, really explain the system to you. So, to me, if I'm the Eagles, like, why can't you take a guy like Jake Fromm in the fifth round and have him be your backup? When you look at the people drafted, like, right after Hurts, you're thinking, like, Van Jefferson from Florida State, great round, route runner. You have Denzel Mims, another great physical receiver out of Baylor. I mean, these are people that can help you win now. I heard a comparison like right after he was drafted that they're going to run like the two-quarterback system um, like the Saints are running. And to me, it's like the Colts aren't running a two-quarterback system. They'll do a gadget play like twice a game. So if you're going to take a guy in the second round for two gadget plays a game, like that's not going to translate to win. The reason the reason the Saints won well, games like, we know this is because it's a copycat yeah. league. We know it's a copycat league. Like if you go all the way back to the Wildcat, and you have the Miami Dolphins when they had Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams, that team did well with what they had, and the Wildcat got super popular. And it's a copycat league, so so they see one team having success, and they try to they try to copy that. You're, just because Drew Brees and Taysom Hill were able to have success with it with Sean Payton doesn't mean you're going to be able to replicate that. Yeah, and I also think it's like when Miami did it, they did it out of like necessity. You're the Eagles. You won a Super Bowl three years ago. You still have a lot of that roster still available. The only difference is you've lost a little bit of receivers. You've been injury prone, but it's like you get that offensive line healthy, that defensive line healthy. You draft some receivers for Carson Wentz, and the reality is like sometimes the injury just come back to like come down to luck. Sometimes you get sacked and your knee turns. Sometimes you get sacked and it doesn't. And so it's like I feel like this Jalen Hurts thing was. I feel like it was almost like fear. It's like Carson Wentz has been hurt a little bit. We have to get someone that can step in. But it's like that's not how that's not how you're going to build that roster that can be dominant for the next five to seven years. Yeah, and I think we've seen over time with Oklahoma, even prior to Lincoln Riley, you have guys like Sam Bradford that was were the number one overall pick in the draft, and you know he had a decent career, but he definitely never lived up to the expectations and hype that people had for him. 
And I think a lot of quarterbacks that go come out of the Big 12, obviously you have Patrick Mahomes, but he landed again. We talked about fit earlier on. He landed in Kansas City with Andy Reid and those weapons. And again, I think talent-wise, he's as good as anybody, but the fit is so, so perfect for him. And so I look at Philadelphia and I look at Jalen Hurts and I go, okay, this is a guy that can run the ball. This is a guy that can throw the ball. I don't think he's as polished of a passer as you would like in a franchise quarterback. But I think the point you made was so profound that Jake Fromm falling to the fifth round, getting picked up by Buffalo, why not take a guy like that who you could have gotten in the fifth round? And so I don't understand the move on Philadelphia's part. To me, again, it's another message, like you said, to their franchise quarterback that we really don't have a lot of faith that you're going to stay healthy. But when he's healthy, there's no doubt that Carson Wentz is one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, two years ago, if he doesn't get hurt, he wins the league MVP. So again, this is not a guy that we're not talking about a guy that's on the cusp of potentially being a starter in this league or not. I mean, we're talking about an elite talent. So it just is really, really weird to me that Philadelphia would go this route. They obviously got Jalen Rager later in the draft. So, you know, and I know they traded for Marquise Goodwin from the 49ers. So again, they're bringing guys in and Alshon Jeffrey's probably going to, you know, finally get healthy this year. So they've got weapons around him. There's just, to me, no reason to take a guy like Jalen Hurts, even if, like you said, even if you're going to run gadget packages where Jalen Hurts is going to run out of the Wildcat or he's going to play receiver, tight end, or what have you, it, I just don't see taking a guy that high when you could have probably gotten him maybe in the third or fourth round if you really loved his game. But I want to talk about a team down in South Beach. The Dolphins? The Miami Dolphins. Their draft. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think to me, I've never been the biggest Tua fan. But I think for me, the draft doesn't even come down to Tua. You know, I, I understand that the most important position to win a Super Bowl or just to win in general in the NFL is a quarterback position. I think one of the points you made is like, hey, if I don't have a franchise guy, I'm going to draft a guy like every two or three years just because like you need to get until that guy. Until you get to, your guy. In, until you get your guy. So for me, like, am I the biggest Tua guy? No, for a number of reasons. I think you look at the injury history – I think he never really wowed me at Bama. He made some phenomenal plays. He also had two wide receivers drafted in the first round this year, a tight end draft in the second round last year, and he's going to have two wide wide receivers go in the first round next year, as well as a first-round running back in the past four years. So it's like the talents around him, the offensive talents around him, does that mean he's not good? No, but there's nothing he really did to wow me. So maybe he's great, maybe he's not, but for me, it wasn't even that pick. I look at their second pick in the first round, so they traded Laramie Tunsley last year, who, do I think he's the best offensive tackle in the history of football? No, but if I'm going to take Laramie Tunsley or Austin Jackson, I'm taking Laramie Tunsley every day of the week and twice on Sunday, especially if he's going to cover my, my franchise quarterback, right? And so for me, you're taking a project out of USC, right? And then to go cornerback again in the first round after you sign Brian Jones, who I know you're very familiar with, being a Cowboys fan, to the highest cornerback salary in the history of football, and then you already have Xavier Howard, to me it's like you're not good enough to take another cornerback. You have the linebacker core to fill up. You still have other position on the offensive line. Hey, maybe if you're going to sign Tua, you might want to get him another weapon besides Devontae Parker. So to me, like exactly. their, their draft just made absolutely no sense in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and the Tua thing's really, really interesting because a lot of analysts and a lot of radio personalities talked about Tua being the best prospect in this draft, that if he was healthy, not coming off of this injury, that he's a runaway number one pick. 
And I still don't see that. I'm not massively high on Joe Burrow, but I really like Joe Burrow as the number one pick. I think if you're going to take a quarterback this year in the first round and you're going to take him number one, Joe Burrow's your guy. And so you're, you have a lower ceiling with Burrow, but you have also a higher floor. So I really like the fact that since he didn't cave and take Tua because everybody else thought Tua was the better prospect. But here's what's interesting to me about Tua is that the one thing that people say that is can't miss about him is his accuracy. And again, if we're talking about eye test with the quarterback position, Tua doesn't wow me. Like you said, I, he's made some throws in his college career that were incredible throws, and I'm not taking away from him from that standpoint. But a lot of people look at completion percentage. Well, Colt McCoy was the completion percentage leader until Joe Burrow broke it. And Colt McCoy has been a journeyman backup in this league. And Colt McCoy was far more athletic in college than Tua was. And so I don't see how, because completion percentage, you're going to be able to translate that to the NFL. And it's so elite that he's, he's a can't miss prospect. And so when I look at Tua's game, he's injury prone, he's short, he's not mobile. The only upside is, yeah, he's pretty accurate. And I haven't really seen his ability to show up in big games. And so I don't know if he's a great leader. If you look at, if you look at the, the big games that he played in recently, so they lost to LSU. Obviously, that was somewhat of a shootout, but he definitely got outplayed by Joe Burrow in that game. And it's not a matter of a lot of people say, well, Joe Burrow's got all this talent. Well, so does Tua. I mean, Tua's playing at Alabama. They've got five stars that are fourth on the depth chart. So I look at, I look at Alabama. Like you said, they had two, two wide receivers go in the first round. And they're going to probably have another wide receiver go in the first round next year. So it's like I look at I look at the talent surrounding Tua, and it's like, okay, you got elite talent at LSU, and you got elite talent at Alabama. Now it's gonna you're gonna to have to separate yourself as the individual. And Joe Burrow separated himself from Tua in that game. And I get that Tua was hurt in that game, but still, if you look at the sample size you have, also the SEC championship the year before against Georgia, Tua gets hurt, but Tua's having a horrible game. Jalen Hurts had to come in and bail him out at the end. So again, and then gets outplayed by Trevor Lawrence in the national championship game that year as well. So again, I'm not saying Tua wasn't worth drafting. To me, he's not worth drafting in the first round. Maybe you'd get him in the third. And if he pans out, you got the steal of the draft. But if he doesn't, then you, okay, you waste the third round pick. So I just, it, when I look at, when I look at it from a eye test perspective, he's not a guy that I'm willing to risk my franchise on. And so also, when you got guys like Phil Sims, who somebody finally came out and said that they believed that everybody was getting on the Tua hype train for no reason. And if you were to put guys like Justin Herbert or if you were to put guys like Jordan Love in Alabama's offense and you put Tua in Oregon's offense or you put Tua in, at Utah State, it's like, are we still talking about Tua? So I think that that's really interesting that um, very few analysts and radio personalities came out and were negative about Tua's game. Um, you heard more that Tua was the best prospect in this draft and it was by far, and I just don't see it. And so I think with that pick alone, you're obviously putting your entire franchise on this player who may not even play for a year. And if he does, you got a guy that if you don't, if he's not healthy, then you just, you just gave up the fifth pick in the draft. And so, and you could have got, got, gotten a guy like Justin Herbert. And so uh, again, I don't think Justin Herbert's can't miss. But to me, you have a guy that's got all the tools from a physical standpoint, and he's very cerebral, and he's a great leader. He's a four-year starter at a major Power Five school, 
Um, obviously, there's a lot of questions with Herbert's game. But again, to me, the injury, the best, the best ability is availability. And if, if Tua can't stay healthy, it doesn't matter how accurate he is. That You can't be accurate from crutches. So I just think from that standpoint, and then there are other two picks, like you said, Austin Jackson and the cornerback from Auburn. I don't see why you have Xavier Howard and you pay Byron Jones the most lucrative contract in NFL history from the cornerback position. You got two elite corners, or at least you're, you're, you're paying them like they're elite corners and you draft another guy in the first round. So are you trading one or are you moving a guy to safety? I just don't see where that fits into their scheme. And so to me, they're, they're not the biggest loser, but they're definitely one of the biggest losers of this draft. And that's why I think when people talk about acquiring draft picks, especially when you can acquire maybe two to three first round picks, unless you know that there's guys in that draft that if you can get them in the first round, that they're going to change your franchise, then to me, those are currency and you need to trade those for a player or you need to trade to move up and, and make another move. So um, we'll see how it pans out with Miami. We'll see how Tua's career pans out, but I just don't see Tua turning into the prospect that everybody thinks. So talking about Cincinnati drafting, drafting Joe Burrow, do you like the move getting T Higgins in the second round? I mean, when I look at T Higgins, like strictly as a prospect, um, he probably wasn't one of my top, I would say like five receivers in the NFL. I think the thing that I do like from Cincinnati though, is I think they're, they're very committed to getting the talent around Joe Burrow. And so when I look at it from a standpoint of you have T Higgins, who he doesn't really have that much pressure on them to like go out and be a wide receiver. Number one, because you have Tyler Boyd who caught, I believe a hundred balls last year. You have AJ green, two years or three years removed from being an Albro player. You have John Ross, who I think if you can get him to work almost in like a Brandon Cooks type role, they could use him very similar to like how the Rams used Brandon Cooks a year ago as a gadget player. And then you have Joe Mixon. So I think the one thing I can say about Cincinnati is I like how they're getting talent around Joe Burrow. Do I think that T Higgins is going to be the next Julio Jones? Not by any means, but I can say – they're doing the opposite of what the Packers are doing. They're doing the opposite of what Carson Wentz are doing. And if I'm going to draft the guy number one overall, I want to give him every opportunity he can to be successful. And so from that standpoint, I'm not overly against it. So coming out of this draft, who, whose roster do you like the best because of their draft? I feel like that's loaded. Um, <laughs> I think the Colts, I like their roster. I think they did a great job. Now, do I think that makes them a Super Bowl contender? No, because I think they were still a quarterback away, and I don't think Phillip Rivers is that quarterback. The one team I'll say, if I'm looking at which team do I think did the best to put them in the best position for the next three, three to five years, it kills me to say it as a Patriots fan, but I have to give it to the New York Giants. And the reason I have to give it to the New York Giants is when I think of a team, you build yourself – I think in a few areas, I think first you have to have a franchise quarterback after a franchise quarterback, you have to have a defensive line. And then after a defensive line, I feel like you have to have an offensive line. So, you know, they took Andrew Thomas number fourth overall, who I really wanted them to take from like a football analyst standpoint, obviously Isaiah Simmons, a lot of people are super high on him. I still think he's an all world talent to me. He's a guy where if you have a staff defense, I mean like San Francisco 49ers, Baltimore Ravens back in the day, like 49ers back in the day, 2012 stack defense where you can have this guy. You Seattle. Can a, yeah. He can be a nickel, Denver, line, yeah. nickel linebacker, third corner, like just all world athlete, almost like a camp chancer type player. Like 
Cam Chancellor isn't the reason Seattle won a Super Bowl. Now, he was a great value add, but he wasn't the reason they won the Super Bowl. He was probably, you look at Earl Thomas, you look at a number of people on that team, Bobby Wagner, that defensive front, right? He was one of the good players on that team, but he's not the reason they won. And so I was really happy with the way they did. I also really liked the combo of Xavier Henry and Jabril Preppers on that back end, because on the front end, they have Leonard Williams, they have David Tomlinson, and they have Dexter Lawrence, right? And so they have that really good group. Now, I still don't love their linebacking core, but the reality is all of their good players are on a rookie salary, besides Leonard Williams, right? So both their safeties are on a rookie salary. Um, David Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence, obviously Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley now. Would you like them to get a receiver? Yeah, but you don't have to have a receiver to make that leap. The reality is the Giants weren't a draft away from being a Super Bowl contender. But you build the offensive line. Now next year you can get maybe another offensive line, maybe a right guard, right tackle, right? Now you get that receiver. Maybe you get a corner, a linebacker who is a playmaker. Now you have a chance to take that next step to ascension. And so for me, they were the big winners of the draft. So as we look as a way too early prediction, but as we look at ahead to the 2021 draft, I want you to give me your top five teams that are going to be tanking for a quarterback. I mean, I think, I don't think it's fair to the football world. If you don't start with the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, they were probably two or three plays away from making it to the Super Bowl. which you think about that now, it's absolutely crazy, but they've pretty much unloaded their whole roster. They started it last year or two years ago where they got rid of Jalen Ramsey. Um, and they pretty much just decimated that. They let go of Boyd, their other cornerback to Denver. And they're really just letting pretty much everyone go. Nick Foles for uh, a fourth-round pick. And so I think they're a team that realizes, hey, we don't have it, right? We tried to go all in. It didn't work. So we're completely in rebuild mode. I think once you get past them, there's a lot of question marks. So obviously New England. I don't think New England's in a situation where they're going to tank. But maybe they go 5-11. and 11 and they're in the running for a quarterback. I think for me, the two biggest teams that are the question marks, and I'd love to get your input on that, is Atlanta, right? They have Matt Ryan, who's been a franchise quarterback, but they're in a tough division. Obviously, Tom Brady went to Tampa. You have the, the research Panthers, and you have the Saints. And then another team that I think will be really interesting is the Washington Redskins, right? They obviously tra- they drafted Dwayne Haskins last year, but you look at that division, you're expecting the Giants to be better you're expecting the Eagles to bounce back and the Cowboys are expecting to be, you know, minimum a 10 and six football team next year. So you're in that division. If you have the first pick, how do you not take Trevor Lawrence? Yeah. So Atlanta's an intriguing one because you've got so much talent around Matt Ryan and he's a guy that obviously he's, he's a league MVP. They've been to a Super Bowl, but they largely underachieved really throughout the career, his entire career. And so he's a guy that I think has been solid, but you have to look at it, and if they go, if they go three and thirteen, and you have the chance to get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields from Ohio State, I think you have to take a serious look at that. And so you've got Julio Jones, who's not getting any younger. You got Calvin Ridley, and you've got Todd Gurley. Now you've got a young core. They've got a pretty solid offensive line, and I just look at that and I go, okay, are, are we just going to waste Julio Jones's prime? And are we just going to let him be a guy that puts up a lot of stats and never wins a Super Bowl? And so I, that team's very intriguing to me. And, and there's two there's two other teams to round out the top five here that I think will be in search of a franchise quarterback next year. 
And I think Las Vegas, which is really weird to even say, the Las Vegas Raiders, not because I think Derek Carr is not capable of taking that team to a Super Bowl. He had 4,000 yards last year, 21 touchdowns, eight interceptions. So he had a really solid year. Obviously, he's not a wow. He's not going to wow you, but he's a guy that can win a Super Bowl. I think you mentioned earlier that he's kind of in his prime like an Alex Smith, not a guy that's going to necessarily win you games, but he's not going to lose you games, and he might win you uh, a few games here and there. But largely, he's just a really solid piece that you can depend on under center. And then the, another franchise that I think will be looking for a quarterback, which might shock a lot of people, um, but potentially we could be looking at the Detroit Lions looking for a quarterback. Now, I know you and I talked about this. I think if you can get a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, then you got to take that guy and see what you can get for Stafford. Now, I'm a huge fan of Stafford. I think talent-wise, he is an elite talent. He hasn't always necessarily played that way over the course of his career. But if you really look at the Detroit Lions history, he's been the best quarterback that they've had. And so it's a dysfunctional franchise. He's had a coaching carousel throughout his career. And he did have Megatron for uh, a long period of time. He's had Reggie Bush, you know, guys that have really stepped up and been elite weapons for him. Marvin Jones Jr. as well. And you got, you got Kenny Galladay now, and they added DeAndre Swift in the draft. So, so they're putting weapons around him. But again, if you have the chance to get Trevor Lawrence, who is going to be 10 years younger than Stafford, and you don't have to trade anybody to get him, I think you have to look at that. So it's going to be a really intriguing year. We're going to see a lot of teams that are going to be on the cusp of are they going to tank or are they not? And um, it's going to be fascinating to watch this unfold. Yeah, I totally agree. I think for me, kind of forecasting next year is really intriguing because I think I think the NFL is in a weird spot now where there's not that many teams that need a quarterback. But I think next year's quarterback draft is arguably the best prospect draft since Andrew Luck RG3. And so – if you end up winding up in that spot, say Stafford gets hurt or Ryan gets hurt, or you just have a bad year where I think I looked at the Lions stats and I think they, I think they were going into the fourth quarter as a winner for six of their, however many losses. And so it's like sometimes decent teams just lose games, right? Cause you don't know how to win consistently. And so I definitely think with some of the prospects going in the draft next year, if you're in that spot, it's going to be really hard to pass on those two guys. Cause I think they both have the potential to be really, really good. Thanks for tuning in to our first episode. We hope that you come back. We're going to be dropping an episode a week. Please follow us at our social medias at the Dustin and Cole podcast. And we just look forward to your engagement. Drop a DM in our inbox, just questions or topics that you would like us to cover in our upcoming episodes. But we can't wait for you to tune in next week.